Blog Talk Radio. Fight for justice is never easy. It never has been and it never will be. It exacts a toll on ourselves, our families, our friends, and especially our children. In the end, I believe, as in my case, the price we pay is well worth holding on to our dignity. And that's a quote by Frank Serpico. Remember, Frank Serpico. Um, is a gentleman who is now a very old man living in Vermont who uh, broke up the corruption in the New York City. I believe it was along with uh, Giuliani, but, but he, he uh, got shot in the face. He, um, he, he stood up against it at all costs. He stood up against it. He wouldn't go for the payoffs, the buyouts, the drugs, the the cruelty, the setups. He wouldn't do it. He wouldn't do it. It's personal integrity. It's a shame that we live in a time when personal integrity is actually praised. <laughs> uh, shouldn't be that way. There's a lot of good people in this world, but there are too many people that are not, and there are too many that have a price. I'm Tanya Hathaway, and I'm your host with Tanya Talks, where your voice is heard and your story is told on the Marty Oakley TS Radio Network. And Stephen Burke's 89.9 KLRB-FM Lighthouse Christian Radio over there in Oklahoma. In And it can be heard in the surrounding area as well. It is October 24, 2021. And I want to thank you for tuning in with us tonight on this very, very important subject that we'll be talking about. But first, I want to say hello to my mom in 603 area code. Always good to know that mom's on and listening in. And uh, we're only going for an hour tonight, so this hour is going to fly by. And uh, it's always good to talk to my mom, too. We just had a nice little conversation today. Oh, my goodness gracious. It is flying by, people. We are coming into the holidays. We're coming into just the winter and uh, and I don't know where the time goes. I just wish it could go a little bit faster for certain things and a little bit slower for other things, but I suppose that would be another subject. Tanya Talks is brought to you in coordination with Marcel Reed, an annual whistleblower summit, and as well as uh, it's brought to you in coordination with Journeys to Justice, a nonprofit 
So I want to make sure that everybody knows out there that uh, this radio station that uh, that you're listening uh, to this on, if you're in Oklahoma, has a lot to say on Saturday afternoons. Uh, Stephen Burke has a show where he discusses where he discusses the way of the world today, and the subjects are things that you won't see in mainstream. And we're actually having, a sh- uh, we've been having shows about this on, uh, on Tuesday evenings, about the things that you won't see in mainstream. So I want to make sure that you tune in this Tuesday, and it will be half an hour later, depending on what time zone you're calling from and you're calling in from tonight or you're listening in from tonight. And I also want to let our listeners know, if you don't already know, I imagine most of you do, but Marty Oakley has uh, other hosts and participates in other shows that are of excellent topics and also cover similar topics. You know, sometimes we're all kind of overlapping ourselves with these topics, quite frankly, but that's good. That's good because that's what alternative media needs more of. We need to let people hear that maybe don't hear on another on a particular night that they're not available. Please don't forget to share our shows with your friends and family. And you know what? If they don't like it, I'm sorry. Thanks for trying. But, you know, we just have to hope that we are doing all that we can just to try to get the truth out. And, of course, there's some opinion that is shared as well on our show and on our shows. Um, But when there's facts, it's undeniable facts. Unfortunately, there are many facts that are being suppressed in, in mainstream. Words are minced. Angles are minced. And sometimes there's two stories, yes, But also, guess what? Sometimes there's just one, and that is called the truth. And don't we all want to know the truth? So don't forget, once again, to tune in Tuesdays just a half hour later and what you're tuning in to, what time you tuned in tonight, depending on what time zone you're in. And our regular contributors, Stephen Burke and James Treat, will be on. And we also welcome callers the second half of the show because I really want to hear what you guys have to say if you have a question for me, any of your, our guests, or if you just have input. Tonight, we're going to take some calls in the last 15 minutes of the show. Again, it's going to fly by, 917-388-4520, and you're going to press the number one if you want to come on. I have special guests with me tonight, ethics expert, and many of you have already heard her, Melissa Hurry, and before I welcome her on the show, I just want to talk a little bit about our Eighth Amendment. Most often, because we know what this subject is about tonight, correct? We know, we know that the Eighth Amendment is in question in federal district court on Monday. Well, the, most often, those who know the Bill of Rights and our Constitution, when it comes to the Eighth Amendment, they think of the death penalty. But the Eighth Amendment also talks about, and it precisely says, excessive bail shall not be required, nor excessive fines imposed, nor cruel 
and unusual punishments inflicted. And so, yes, tonight we are talking about the death penalty and cruel and unusual punishments being inflicted, which has everything to do with what this federal uh, court is going to be hearing tomorrow. Lethal injection is a practice of injecting one or more drugs into a person, and it's typically a barbiturate, a paralytic, and potassium solution for the express purpose of causing a rapid death. The drugs cause the person to become unconscious, stops the breathing, and cause a heart arrhythmia in that order. That's what is supposed to happen. Now, we know we know that the death penalty is not usual, unusual, forgive me. It's not an unusual punishment. We all know that there are death penalties out there, okay, and that they have been out there, that they, they had also been stayed. So how there seems to be much left to interpret, there seems to be a lot left to interpretation, but on April 29, 2014, Clayton Lockett, I'm just going to share a couple minutes with you, and it's not it's not for the faint of heart, but I'm not going to get into too many details because it really is not for the faint of heart. I'll just give just enough details. On April 29, 2014, Clayton Lockett was set to be put to death. 38-year-old man convicted of murder in Oklahoma. There was never a question of his guilt. He did not claim innocence. That's not what this is about. The, ex- the execution was scheduled to begin at 6 p.m., and Lockett could expect to be dead within about 45 minutes. That's about the time that it takes for um, somebody to come in and, and set things up and go through all the formalities and whatnot, and then, and then you know, the IV and um, push the drugs in and rapid death. Um, the murder by hack by Lockett was so heinous. It, it caused so many people and reporters to want to show up and be present in that room to watch. There were so many reporters that they were actually drawing names to see him take his final death and report on it. According to an article in the Atlantic published on June, whoa, June 2015, titled the cruel and unusual execution of Clayton Lockett. What many people don't realize is that choosing the specific drug and doses involves as much guesswork as expertise. So quite often the person that are act, that act, that's actually selecting the drugs has no medical training. Did you know that? Has no medical training. It could be the lawyer, it could be the state attorney general, or another official. Hence, these things get botched, and that indeed is what happened that day. They relied on it working. They relied on that lethal injection working because it had in the past. That was the way lethal injections were being done. Typically, it worked. In 2010, Oklahoma used a new drug in the execution of John David Judy after switching to a powerful barbiturate. 
Now, this is a little bit Tarantino style that I'm sharing this with you in, okay? So switching to a painful barbiturate, noting that no, pentobarbital is made by a U.S. company, and it's for short-term therapy for insomnia. The company is, um, is based in Copenhagen, and it's called Lundbeck, L-U-N-D-B-E-C-K. State officials said pentobarbital was ideal for humane euthanasia, forgive me, in animals. That is what state officials said. Pentobarbital was ideal for humane euthanasia in animals. Again, this is what they used for David Duty without incident. So nothing happened with that. Okay, so we're getting the feel for, okay, so they went along and they were using this concoction and then this fateful day comes, which was going to be a fateful day anyways, and it sure indeed was. But other states followed Oklahoma's lead. But then pharmaceutical companies started backing out because they had no interest in supplying executions. Seven months after the first execution, Lundbach instituted distribution controls and the DOC could no longer use pentobarbital, so then they went back. And now we're going back to the end of this, my little uh, preface here, back to Clayton Lockett. So it was 527 when they started entering. There was an EMT or a pandemic, a a parademic and staff that started entering the room where the process of the lethal injection was going to be given. And during that process, again, I am leaving out many, many facts, many words that were said, and many gross um, descriptions. Clayton Lockett said, I feel my whole body burning. At 6.36, his body was still moving. He lurched up against the restraints. Witnesses saw this. He was moving as if he was trying to free himself to get off the gurney and struggling and twisting his body. His lawyers began to cry. He tried to talk, but he couldn't. And again, the rest is just too much to share on this show. But he finally, after this process began at 6 o'clock, he finally was declared dead. At 7.06. So whether you believe in the death penalty or not, cruel and unusual punishment. How does this decision tomorrow impact the inmates that are on death row, the ones that did not choose the way to be put to death when Oklahoma handed out papers asking everybody, how do you choose to be put to death? And because they did not choose to be put to death, there are six inmates that have execution dates. And the first man, his name is, his last name is Grant. As well, Julius Jones, as we all know, who has proclaimed his innocence from the very beginning, has a clemency hearing the day after this hearing tomorrow. How is this going to impact that? We have with us tonight, Melissa Hurry. How are you? And thanks for coming on once again. Melissa, can you briefly share 
who you are, what your background is, for those that are hearing you for the first time. Hi, Tanya. Sure. My name is Melissa Hurry. I am a professional in the legal field. I work for the Office of State Ethics in the state of Connecticut right now um, as a paralegal specialist. I've been there for close to six years now, and before that, I was at a private law firm where we did a lot of criminal law, and I was there for 17 years. So I have over 23 years in the legal field. I'm just finishing up my master's degree in criminal justice right now, too. I'm actually in the process of doing a thesis, a proposal that has to be accepted. But um, that's what I'm. That's what I've been doing right now. You've been working in the midst hard. Of all of this. Yes, I have been working hard. But I am yeah. definitely. And I really do appreciate you coming on. Mm-hmm. Oh, no problem been a part of this uh, you know you've you found out about the Julius Jones case and and it, you haven't stopped since then because of all the glaring realities that point you as innocent absolutely I, I, there's many many factors that tell me that Julius Jones is a very innocent man that's been sitting on death row um, he's been in prison for over 22 years he's been on death row for over going on 20 years now so um yeah as far I, as, I as far as you know is he be, mm-hmm. right right and and i mean there have been all kinds of protests worldwide actually all kinds and you know yes. i've looked at the, i've looked at the list of the other um men that have been uh that are on death row um that because they did not sign uh, this form, making their decision, and it's interesting. I find it very interesting that you know uh, that that Oklahoma just jumped right on. Oh, okay. Well, they didn't answer, so there's a loophole here. Let's kill them and get it over with. Well, stop right there, and that's what this hearing tomorrow is all about. But uh, yes. before we talk a little bit more about that, I don't see any of of the other uh, men that are on death row. Uh, because they did not fill out this form um, that are proclaiming their innocence. So, um, so this is still not about whether somebody's innocent or not. Um, it's about the cruel and unusual punishment yeah. factor, which is a separate factor from, of course, the innocence. Yes, absolutely. And there is a there is a trial that will be occurring regarding that Eighth Amendment issue that deals with the protocol for their lethal injection. That is the issue. Is that protocol cruel and unusual? Now, as you mentioned, there have been botched executions in Oklahoma um, that kind of prove that anything that steers away from the statutorial protocol um, could very well, in fact, be cruel and unusual. So that's the issue here. And there is right. A, so it's not a hearing; it's actually a trial. That in February, that is a trial on the issue. Yes, that's right. in February right. of of next year, 2022. So that right. we have that pending. So right. um, the former Attorney General Mike Hunter had issued a promise on the record that nobody in Oklahoma would be executed until this issue was resolved. And the issue certainly hasn't been resolved because the trial, again, is not until February of 2022. So John O'Connor, the current attorney general, is not honoring that promise. And that's the reason why there has to be a hearing before the district court. Um, the mm-hmm. ten, first of all, the, the district court has left um, these individuals out of the, the judgment where they issued stays of execution for the under, other individuals who did pick 
an alternative method of execution. But we have some individuals here who did not pick an alternative method of execution, and they objected to that for religious reasons. Their religion doesn't allow them to, to choose or take part in how they would die. And mm-hmm. so th- there's four mm-hmm. individuals that, um, that, that are, this hearing is re- regarding um, tomorrow morning at 9 o'clock. There's, there's four individuals. There was a motion in a brief in support of a pre- preliminary injunction, injunction on behalf of four plaintiffs. And this is the hearing that's going to occur tomorrow. Julius Jones is, is one of those plaintiffs as well as John Grant, who's scheduled to be executed um, on Thursday, the 28th, is coming Thursday. Yes. Mm-hmm. So there, there, this is a very, there's some very intricate issues here. Um, there's so much going on. There, there's also, um, aside from this as well, there's uh, the issue of the AG's request to remove Adam Luck and Kelly Doyle from the Pardon and Parole Board. So that sits with the Oklahoma Supreme Court. Um, D.A. Prater had filed a request that was denied, but they haven't decided um, on the AG's request yet. And I think responses were due actually to the Oklahoma Supreme Court tomorrow. So those responses are due to the Supreme Court tomorrow, the 25th, regarding uh, that and issue. And I think Prater and is then, the one that should be on trial. Oh, I don't disagree with you. Um, yeah. It, there's there's just so much going on. So we have to see what happens at this um, district court hearing tomorrow morning. And then, of course, Julius's clemency hearing is scheduled for Tuesday morning at 9.30 in front of the Board of Pardon and Parole. So everything is kind and of so in the So, of course, right that's now. why Prater is trying to, you know, he's been trying to, you know, just step over as well as the Attorney General. Oh, yes. Yes, uh, they're it, tr- it, just trying to stomp on uh, on the rights, and even though somebody is an inmate, there are still are inmate inmate rights. Now, quite quite frankly, I'm not sure if um, religious rights uh, are are allowed as an inmate because there are constitutional rights for those of us that are not locked up. Even though there should be some that are out here, but they still they haven't gotten caught or they're not being punished, right? And mm-hmm. um, and then. There are people that, you know, have lost those rights that are innocent and as well as the fact that if they're, they are guilty and most people that are in prison are guilty of something. There's no doubt about it. And people need to pay their price to society. Do we need justice to reform? Yes, we absolutely do. We need rehabilitation programs is what we really need. Um, and helping people reenter into society should they deserve it, should it be warranted um, so they don't reoffend. But let me ask you something. Um, does what does tomorrow? How do uh, how does tomorrow's hearing link in with the, with the fact that there were 26 inmates that actually that filed a suit? There are 26 Oklahoma, mm-hmm. and this is an article um, in Tulsa World uh, that was just uh, in September. So there was 26 Oklahoma death row inmates challenging the constitutional constitutionality of the state's lethal injection protocol and they won the right to take the case to trial so yes right and that's and that was in front of u.s uh district judge for free it or fry it yes no mm-hmm. okay free it okay so he granted uh, yeah, the sure. summary free it or fry it it's Stephen. yeah free it yeah I'm, I'm not sure exactly how you pronounce it and, I hope and, and the attorney general <laughs> Yeah, 
Well, well, well yeah. you call one, I'll call it the other. One of us will be getting it right. <laughs> okay. So, <That's> good. <laughs> spokesman for the Attorney General's office, uh, John O'Connor, said that his office was reviewing, and that was his only response for the comment. So um, now how does that tie in with what's happening tomorrow? Well, tomorrow is whether or not these individuals are going to be included in the stays of execution that, you know, to where executions will not occur until after this, this trial is had on the constitutionality of the, of the lethal injection protocol. That's an Eighth Amendment issue. Right. So um, t- tomorrow the judge should decide whether, well, let me say this. When Friat had spoken in an article, and I had pulled this article up the other day, and he had said, and I quote, he would be immediately available if the state of Oklahoma did not honor the, um, the attorney general's promise to not execute anybody while this issue was pending. So by him saying that, saying and that he would be immediately available. Yes, Mike Hunter made that promise, and it was documented. And there's but a he different was the attorney, attorney general, general at the time. There is a different mm-hmm. attorney general now, John O'Connor, who requested execution dates for these individuals for the, from the Oklahoma uh, Criminal Court of Appeals. He did not request that the Criminal Court of Appeals stop these execution dates, and this is why the district court is stepping in tomorrow morning, because he's mm-hmm. not honoring the promise of Mike Hunter that no executions would occur. And so... Mm-hmm. Um, my legal mind says, how can you execute these individuals when there is a question of, of constitutionality? To me, that has to be completely addressed and resolved, and, and that's why there is a trial in February of 22 before any executions should occur. Um, mm-hmm. I don't know why John O'Connor didn't um, accept, didn't adhere to the promise of Mike Hunter. I don't know. Mm-hmm. But it, Oklahoma seems to be in a rush to execute these individuals. Mm-hmm. And so these 26 inmates actually are are 26 that actually did um, choose alternative methods of execution. execution yeah. yeah, and they're covered. Yeah, and that, and that, that includes Richard Glossop. Yeah. Yes, it includes Richard so, Glossop. And let me say that. Um, the Tenth Circuit actually stepped in because when the district court entered its order not covering these individuals under the stay, they called it a final judgment. And the Tenth Circuit stepped in and said, "No, you cannot call it a final judgment." And the Tenth, so that that's when the Tenth Circuit had stepped in. So this issue could very well go back to the Tenth Circuit, I believe. But tomorrow mm-hmm. morning, we just we have to see what happens in the Western District Court of Oklahoma mm-hmm. and see what they rule, what this judge rules tomorrow morning. I mean, I have a feeling he's gonna rule for days of, of execution on the on these men but you know we we don't know so we have to just wait and see okay so melissa so you have a feeling that he's going to um rule uh, uh for a stay on the executions and and so i, I do think so uh, i'm sorry i said i do think so, so. I, I do think yeah so, yes so what what does that mean for oh. Grant on Thursday, hello, there's a stay, you know. Um, so that means that Thursday he is not put to death via the lethal in- injection method. Yes, uh, yes, because he's one of the then, plaintiffs in, in this action. Yes, he would be, if they grant stays, he would be one of those individuals who would be granted a stay, assuming if they grant stays, they grant stays 
to all the individuals. I don't see why not, why they wouldn't. But. Right. Right. It's not like you're going to look at the individual crimes and, and say, well, that one, well, okay, that one can can be stated yeah, and this no, one can't. No, no it's, it's not an listen, issue of what they, crime was committed. It, yeah, it's a constitutionality right. issue. Yes. Yes, exactly. So, um, so, so then what does this mean for Julius Jones, who has a clemency mm-hmm. hearing? This is the tough question, and I don't know that anybody has a definite answer. We have to wait and see what happens. I think some of the scenario is, and this is this is very um, this is these are very like I said intricate issues. So if this judge issue stays tomorrow, then that would call off execution dates. But if the judge issue stays, and that here and that hearing is appealed from from those days, then technically that that would mean that if, if there's an an appeal i think that um there would still technically be an execution date and then i think that the hearing the clemency hearing would occur but then they could come back and in um still reissue those stays which could stop this is so confusing to some yeah. which could stop john grant's execution on thursday so we are right. on a timeline here that is just crazy, and it's really hard to call exactly what is going to happen. We are hopeful that Julius will have his clemency hearing on Tuesday, and he will be afforded his opportunity to speak at that hearing. Um, this is what we want to happen. So I am just going to be watching very closely as to tomorrow is going to be a very telling day. There's going to be a lot going tomorrow's on tomorrow. Tomorrow's going to be very Yeah. Yeah. So... So now why wouldn't it be, uh, so I play devil's advocate here, so why wouldn't it be that, okay, so if there's a stay, then there's no clemency hearing, and then that's just put off? Well, it's or, very, that, that's where it gets to be a very um, sticky kind of issue because if, Especially if for grants. Yeah, and so this, this week is going to be um, very stressful. I'm going to use that word because... Um, we have to see if there is a stay issued. We have to see if that stay is appealed. That matters regarding Julius Jones's clemency hearing. But if those, those stays are appealed, but they are confirmed by the court, then John Grant, and if, if that occurs after Julius's clemency hearing, then that would stop the execution of John Grant on Thursday. So there's a lot of things to consider here. Um, if the clemency hearing happens, again, Julius will get his opportunity to speak. If the clemency hearing doesn't happen, then I don't know what happens after that. So there's a lot of different scenarios. I don't want to speculate. I want to see what happens um, tomorrow and Tuesday. I want to to go with some positive thoughts and hope that he does have his clemency hearing Tuesday morning at 930 is when it's scheduled. It's an open... it falls under the Open Meeting Act, so you can watch this on Zoom. You just go to the um, Board of Pardon and Parole website. There's a link there and, and all the information for the Zoom hearing. So if it does, if this hearing does occur on Tuesday morning, you can definitely watch it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, tomorrow morning is going to be uh, very telling to see what happens in the district court. So we just have to see what, how this unfolds over these next couple of days. Yeah, we really do. So I could definitely see why 
we would want the clemency hearing to take place because the, when that takes place, you know, the hope would be, you know, that he's granted clemency, of course, and yeah. um, and that and that would, uh, you know, he's going to be in front of the same people that had granted him um, the parole. Yeah, they recommended commutation. They did. The board recommended commutation. Yes, thank you. They recommended commutation. Yes. Which essentially would mean he would be out on parole. Well, if the governor, uh, they recommended commutation to life with parole, so then the issue would would come as to when he would be eligible for parole, when they would have a parole hearing. Those issues would would have all become um, come to light, but uh, the governor did not recommend commutation now but what the governor did not recommend commutation was for procedural reasons he didn't do it based on the merits so that's another question if for some reason this clemency hearing doesn't happen i have a question myself and i don't have the answer to it whether or not the governor could if he chose go back to the board's commutation recommendation i don't know if that's an option i don't know who knows that but because he didn't deny the commutation on the merits and only for procedural reasons, because once the, once the execution date was scheduled for Julius, clemency became the correct venue. Because once an execution date is scheduled, they have to schedule a And that's a, a procedural reason. That's a procedural and reason. It was not based on the merits of the recommendation right. itself. Right. So, so this all snuck in there, in, in, in essence. Yeah. So that's very, that's very interesting, right? So then he should be able to go back after this hearing. And so, so he he did accept, however, life. I mean, I, I, the government I mean, has not said anything as far as the rec- as far as the board's recommendation. All he he issued his statement that he believed that the proper venue was clemency and that a clemency hearing should be had, which is scheduled for Tuesday. So, right, if for some right. reason clemency no longer becomes the proper venue, that's my question: Does it go back to commutation? Right. Because he still had the right to a commutation hearing, which he had, and that recommendation is still there. And my big question is because it wasn't denied on the merits and only for procedural reasons, if those procedural reasons change and clemency is no longer the proper venue, then I question what happens to that commutation recommendation. Again, because it wasn't denied on the merits. Right, right. So that's it, right, on the merits of the case and the reasons for yes, it. Right, absolutely. it was all procedural. He didn't say no, I don't. I, okay. Yeah. I yeah, was, he didn't say I, I don't under recommend. I was under a different under, understanding, so I'm glad that you clarified that. With, with well, that's me. my understanding. I, I, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so I okay. don't know if anybody has a different understanding. And like you said, you, you, you're leaving a, a, a time period for people to call in. So if anybody has a different understanding or sees it a different way, it would, to me, be much appreciated because everybody's trying to figure out exactly what's going on. It just sticks in my mind that when he, when he didn't accept the board's recommendation, he didn't say, no, I don't recommend life without parole as the board recommended he said that he was denying it because of clemency being the proper venue that's a procedural reason you can't put the cart before the horse no we can only see what happens tomorrow and see if in fact julius is able to have his clemency hearing on tuesday and so we see that first 
and then we have the question right. of what happens. Well, if he had if he had approved it, then the state, you, you know, the attorney general's office could have would have would have believe me, they would have come back course, and I, I was challenged say that. that. Of course, they would have been all over it. Um, DA Prater as well as AG O'Connor would have been right. all over anything that they could find if it didn't go according with procedure as it was supposed to. So I don't. Um, I, I mean, I, I don't think Governor Stitt was wrong for saying clemency was the proper venue because I feel if he didn't do that, like you said, I feel they would have been all over it. So that's my opinion mm-hmm. on that. But And mm-hmm. we know, I, I mean, how many times do you put the same issue before the Oklahoma Supreme Court, before this becomes frivolous, you're wasting taxpayer dollars and you're wasting court time. You filed a request to remove Kelly Doyle, and Adam Luck from this board before the commutation hearing. The Oklahoma Supreme Court denied that request. Now we're requesting to remove Adam Luck and Kelly Doyle before the clemency hearing. So in both by Prater and the AG again. So how, how many times does this happen before they can, like I said, like they can, before they consider it frivolous? These are taxpayers' dollars, dollars paying for this court time, and that's Supreme Court time. They act like they're playing whack a, whack-a-mole. You know, they they, they really do. They're, they're trying to confuse the issues. It's turned into a, a big legal circus, and there's so many things filed, so many things pending over the just this past month, and 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 it's just it, it, it's no wonder why you know people really don't know exactly what's going to happen and exactly what's what what's going to occur this week. But we stay positive mm-hmm. and hope that um, justice will prevail and he will get his chance to speak and be heard because I can tell you this if people hear Julius Jones speak um, that that could be a change a a big change because um, I I feel like the world well the world or (laughs) at least this this country should hear what Julius Jones has to say right or the state the state, the state, you know, because I mean, there's there's supporters all over the country. You know that, um, in support right. oh, of, yeah. of Julius, and and they fully believe in his innocence. And there's going to be a lot of people watching Julius Jones speak. Should he get that opportunity, and we hope that he does. And a lot of people are flying out there in anticipation yes. of the clemency hearing taking place. On yes, there, there are. Yep, there are. There are a lot of people that are flying out to Oklahoma for the for the clemency hearing, and I and would so be interested in tomorrow's hearing as well. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, yeah, there's a possibility. There's definitely there's, a possibility. There's a possibility that the hearing will go on, but there's a good possibility that it won't. There's so many questions here. I mean, what yeah. happens tomorrow? is I've racked my brain for this whole past week. I've lost sleep over this issue trying to figure out exactly what might happen because I I know how frustrating I can only imagine. You know, it's on, it's off. You, you know, you have a commutation hearing. The board issues a recommendation. The governor, no, we have to have the clemency hearing. So in the meantime, there's a man that's been sitting there for 22 years through all of this who is innocent. And I would love right. to hear Julius Jones speak on his own behalf because I've heard Julius Jones speak many times and I feel like other people should hear it as well. Oh, ab- absolutely. Not just his story, but should hear his voice. Because you get the feel. You hear the inflections, the tones, the, the pauses, the, you know, the passion, the, the truth. And the truth is what yeah. needs to be 
heard, you know, uh, absolutely worldwide, you know, for anybody that's wrongfully convicted. And we can only hope that someday there will be a precedent set for these wrongful convictions. And as you are a huge advocate for, are, are, are the um, – are, are the wrongful conviction, or you know, the the ethics and the, the ethics committee, you know, that there is a help me out here, help me out, Melissa. I had a tip of my tongue. Well, I'm doing uh, my thesis on, a, on wrongful convictions unit. right now. Integrity oh, a conviction unit. integrity unit. Conviction yes, that's one of my. Unit. Um, yes. 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 That is um, one of my biggest um, solutions to what goes on, because I feel like conviction integrity units are essential to to stop these wrongful convictions. We've had close to 3,000 wrongful convictions that have occurred since 1989. And now that is when the National Registry of Exonerations began recording exonerations. So we don't mm-hmm. know how many people are really in prison wrongfully convicted. We can only study wrongful convictions by those who have been exonerated. And exonerated means being found actually innocent of something that you were wrongfully convicted of. We know how mm-hmm. hard that is to prove that you were actually Mm -hmm. innocent. So the number of people who have been exonerated, which again is close to 3,000 since 1989, in my opinion is even a fraction of the people that are in this criminal justice system who have been wrongfully convicted. And we 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 don't even know who has been put to death. No, we don't. We we can can only imagine. And, you know, if you ask me, sure, it's harder to prove your innocence then your guilt, but hold on a minute, whatever happened to guilty beyond a shadow of a doubt? So when there's no DNA or there's only circumstantial evidence, whatever happened to the proper prongs, you know, uh, uh, that, that it takes to take a sentence to the furthest degree that would put a man or woman to death, without the, the true knowledge, and not to, not to mention the fact that a jury does not always get all of the information. And there have been jurors that have said, if I knew this or if I knew that, I never would have voted on this, you know. So it's, you've got to get rid of the corruption, you, you, you do, and, and there and, has to be good working integrity units, conviction integrity units, before you can yeah. even consider, and that's even if you believe in the death penalty, and some states have it and some states don't, but nobody should have it. Let's put it that way, in today's world where there's yeah. so much corruption going on, one person being put to death is too many people being put it's to too death. Many. There should be no room for error. You know, the Death Penalty Information Center is another um, invaluable website that records um, a ton of information. And they go back to 1977 after the Greg v. Georgia decision, which, again, implemented the the death penalty, allowed states to, um, you you know, fix any questions that that were raised in um, Furman v. Georgia, which stopped the death penalty, and uh, that case was in 72. So um, since... The death penalty was reinstated. They call it the modern era of the death penalty. There have been 186 exonerations from death row. Those are 186 people who are innocent who could have very well been executed but were exonerated before that happened. So we don't know how many Mm -hmm. people have been executed who weren't able to prove their innocence and be exonerated. 
Mm-hmm. And, and so yeah, and we, then, we don't know that. And there should be no hearings ever exhausted when there is new information available to be presented that could possibly yeah. that that could show that somebody is innocent or change the sentence. Because we know that over-sentencing is a huge problem as well because there are plea deals that are made. There, oh, the, you know, the, the, where, where the, you know, other people that committed worse of a crime, you know, are out in 10 years and somebody and the, and the person that didn't make the plea deal or the, that wasn't gotten to fast enough to make the plea deal and had less Absolutely. to do with it, they're in for life. You oh, know? yeah. And, you know, people don't, you know, I, I don't, I know there's victims in cases, but you're not doing justice to victims or their families if you convict the wrong person. There have been instances Imagine where the wrong person has been member. convicted, and the person who did commit the crime has gone on to commit additional crimes because they were they were set free, and the wrong person sat in mm-hmm. in, in prison. So, so that has happened, and I understand mm-hmm. you know how difficult it, it is for these families who have lost people. But I mean, if I were in the in those shoes. I would want to know that it was the right person. I wouldn't want to see somebody who's innocent sit on death row or worse be executed just because it gives mm-hmm. me some kind of satisfaction. I mean, that, that just wouldn't work for me. So I try to educate people that wrongful convictions do happen. Please don't think they don't happen. You know, people think in death penalty cases because there's so many layers of appeals and, you know, you can file habeas actions with the state court and then with, with the federal court. And, you know, people think that because there are so many layers that you have to go through that, you know, people can't be wrongfully convicted to death, but they are. There's living proof of people who have been wrongfully convicted to death. And as long as that exists, that possibility exists, then you can't practice the death penalty at the risk of executing innocent people. I don't agree with it at all, but I certainly don't mm-hmm. agree with it as long as innocent people are being exonerated because if innocent people are being exonerated, that tells me that innocent people have been executed because you can't tell me that everybody who's innocent has been exonerated. Correct. Correct. No, absolutely not. And the most common factors that go in. I'm sorry. I was just going to say, because you spoke of corruption and you, and, and you spoke of, well, corruption and misconduct hand in hand, the 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 most common contributors to these wrongful convictions are um, false perjured testimony and official misconduct. Those are the two most common factors. We've gone beyond the uh, on, beyond the error of DNA. It, you know, it only be in issues regarding DNA because we know now that again, perjured testimony, which includes informant testimony and official misconduct, mm. are the number number top contributors especially to death penalty convictions. This is what I see in my research. This is what I'm doing my thesis on. And they're also the top contributors to wrongful conviction, all other cases, period. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and, and some of the reasons why um, the misconduct or the corruption, why uh, people stay in, in prison where they don't belong there is because, is because then that would ruin or it would hurt it would put a little ding in, in a prosecutor's armor, potentially, or, you know, the attorney general's office or the investigators or, or whatever, if the truth was found out. You know, so if there's a mistake, you know, and somebody comes forward and says, that new evidence, we want to hear it. Because we do not want to have an innocent man or woman in jail 
not to mention being put to death, would you think that that would make that person more popular? And quite frankly, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if it does or not. You know, it's, a, it's just the right thing to do. And, 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 and once again, why is it that doing the right thing, people get praised for it? And why can't people just do the right thing to begin with? It seems it's to just, be like there's, there's this there's no accountability. process. And there's, mm-hmm. there's no accountability when, when this stuff happens. There's no accountability. And, um, again, I'm doing a ton of research. So I will be addressing yeah, in, in my right. thesis the issue of, of prosecutorial misconduct because it is a problem. And because when you have official misconduct occurring in these cases, a majority mm-hmm. of them is the prosecutor withholding exculpatory information. And so that yeah. is one of the most common forms of official misconduct. You've got to break these things down. So you have official misconduct. Okay, where is that official misconduct occurring? Because official misconduct and, includes both police misconduct and prosecutorial misconduct. And for those and who don't know what exculpatory evidence, exculpatory evidence is, exculpatory evidence is something that the prosecutor needs to hand over to the defense that could act in favor of the defense. So you're supposed to share discovery. You're supposed to share. Everybody's supposed to have the same information. And, and sadly, very sadly, it, it does happen where something that would work in favor of the defense is not handed over to the attorney. Now, that is a violation. That's a, a huge violation. And how many times has that violation taken place? Every single case I hear about that makes it my way, I would, I would say probably 80% of the time at least involves exculpatory evidence not being brought forth to the defense. Mm-hmm. And, and a lot the jury of not getting the full information. Made. So, you know, a lot of times that exculpatory evidence that's not being disclosed is the deals that were made with these informants who provided the false testimony. So it's a big, it's a big chain of events that occurs, and it all, it's mm-hmm. all linked to each other. Mm-hmm. So we, we need conviction integrity units because we need sincere conviction integrity units that are based upon a successful model. There have been some very successful conviction integrity units that have been implemented. And as a matter of fact, we've spoken about it several times on your show that Representative McDougall have proposed legislation. Yeah. It was in the form of a bill requesting conviction review units for all death penalty cases. That's a start. Because another, another statistic is that over one-fifth of these exonerated cases of death sentences happened in only um, a handful of counties. Now, there's over 3,000 counties in the United States. And for six counties to be um, the, the counties that have had over one-fifth of those exonerations is an astronomical number, if you think about that, over 3,000 counties. But I believe it was 37 of these wrongful death row convictions occurred over a span of only six counties. Oklahoma County is one of those counties. Mm-hmm. Of course. Yep, of course. It's, it, let's not forget, there are more women incarcerated in Oklahoma per capita than anywhere in the world. Let's not forget that. And uh, that number was also the same for 
uh, people incarcerated in general. I believe that we go back and forth now uh, regarding in general per capita between um, Oklahoma and uh, and one uh, one other state. But that, that's well, nothing to hang your hat on. That is nothing to be proud no. of. That's something to be ashamed of. And Oklahoma. It is in Oklahoma. Ha- it is, it, they execute more people per capita than any state in the country. Mm-hmm. And that, that it's, um, it, we know that Texas, as, as a state, executes more in numbers. But per capita, Oklahoma right. executes more people. When you're looking at the population of a state versus how many people they execute, Oklahoma is number one in that category. If anybody wants to call in, they have a brief something to say because we're about six, seven minutes out well, eight minutes out um, from closing up this short show tonight, um, please call in real quick. Take a comment. We'll answer a question. What's your opinion on this? 917-388-4520. Press the number one. You want to just listen? Listen away. And thank you so much for being here. And thank you for sharing what you share. Thank you for taking this very seriously. Now, let me ask you something, um, Melissa. Is this going to be televised tomorrow? The hearing before the district court? I'm trying to find Mm -hmm. out if there's any way to watch that hearing. I know Mm -hmm. when um, the, the Oklahoma Supreme Court had the hearing on whether or not Adam Luck and Kelly Doyle should be removed before the commutation hearing. We were able to watch that hearing. I have no idea yet, and I was speaking to someone about this earlier, about whether or not there will be an outlet to watch this mm-hmm. hearing that occurs before the district court tomorrow morning at 9 o'clock. So, One would think there are going to be TV cameras there. <laughs> you know, to me, that just seems like oh, a, a no for sure about that. I would like to watch the hearing live myself, but yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. But I'm sure that we'll we will have to find out what happens when that hearing is over. Hopefully, you know, there'll be enough um, media there that we'll have an immediate answer as to what occurred in that hearing. And then we have to watch for the, the, the rest of the day to see um, if that's appealed and then things start to get interesting. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, it sure, it sure it sure will, and that word will be circulated quickly by you, by me, and, and by well, yeah, many other sure. outlets, I, I am certain. Um, that's just going to uh, dictate a, a lot of things, and, and precedents really do need, need to be set. You know, I know what it feels like being accused of something, you know, that I haven't done. And it, it, and it doesn't involve me, you know, being, you know, and many people, many of us know what that's like, right? And it's, and it's just like so minimal, but it's so hurtful or that people, you know, think that you did something that you didn't do that has nothing to do with, you know, being at risk of being put to death. Just imagine being in that kind of a position and just imagine right now being, you know, it's, already knowing that you're being put to death for uh, something that somebody did and and they don't deny it. Okay, so that's a big deal, okay? Right or, right or wrong that I say that, you know, there's still compassion and humanity in our world that, you know, we're all God's creatures and people do some terrible, terrible things and, you know, to find pleasure in in. And death is really hard 
to uh, to imagine, but to begin with, but imagine being innocent and having to deal with such treachery, such you know. Imagine being the family. You know, this isn't about one person. And again, one is too much. One is too many. I just, I just, I just don't know why this is a problem that so many people run on, Melissa. There's so many politicians that run on reform and don't do anything about it. And I am glad to know that there are the McDougals out there that, you know, yeah. care about this happening. And I'm glad to know that there's, you know, Julius's friend, you know, Jimmy, gosh, I forgot his last name. Shame on me. Jimmy Lawson, yes. Thank you. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Running for, you know, mayor in Oklahoma City that wants to address these issues. Yeah, he's been behind Julius Jones for this whole 22 years that this has been going on. So, um, well, you you had Jimmy on the show. Jimmy's a a great person and a great mayoral candidate. So, but we'll definitely have him back on. And this is why I'm trying to. Well, I'm. I, I want people to understand that wrongful convictions happen and they definitely happen in death penalty cases. And, you know, in, in the case of Furman versus Georgia way back in, in 1972, Justice uh, Thurgood Marshall mentioned the fact that, you know, for the death penalty to end in this country, we need, um, it, it's, it's the national consensus is what's, what's going to matter. So I only hope that people see that wrongful convictions occur and they see that they occur in death penalty cases quite a bit. And so, you know, maybe with the light that's been shown on wrongful convictions and more people understanding that they do happen and how they happen, you know, maybe maybe that goes a long way in, in swaying that consensus to where people no longer feel that it, it's, you know, the, the, we talk about the evolving standards of decency, you know, maybe that changes and maybe it's not acceptable by society to execute people anymore, especially when there's the question of executing innocent people. Thank you for that. Thank you so much for coming on tonight. We really appreciate you every time that you're on with us. You always have valuable information and perspective to bring to the table. And you, you just, you spit out those stats like it's the back of your hand. And that's because (laughs) of all of your hard work and all of your studying and, you know, I can't wait to read your thesis once it's done. So I want to oh, thank you uh, again. <laughs> thank you. Yeah, I know, I know. And, you know, you've been putting all of your energy and education to work. In the meantime, I don't know how you do it all. I don't know how you do it all. But you know I love you. We know we love you. And and you're, uh, you're a sought-out woman. That is for sure. So I wanted um, – let our listeners know that, you know, once again, I hope you tune in on Tuesday evening to 30 minutes, mm, pardon me, just 30 minutes after your start time tonight, depending on where you are, because we are going to talk about everything from A for Afghanistan and what happened there to V for backs and jabs and everything in between with Stephen Burke and James Treat, regular contributors, quite intense discussions about things that mainstream will not tell you. And I also want to remind our listeners that I've also been working with George Skates, a man twice wrongfully convicted who was also involved in the Lucasville riot, twice wrongfully convicted. And I had an interview with him, the only interview that he has ever had 
uh, with the media, and I had that interview with him. He has been in jail close into prison close to 40 years now. Listen, I want to thank everybody for tuning in tonight. I want to say good night to my mother. Thank you to all your listeners. Hope you come on again. Good God bless, and good night.